Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to City Church. I want to invite you to connect with us on social media, get live stream service notifications, access podcasts, and up-to-date information on upcoming events. We're so glad you're joining us for a powerful, life-transforming message from one of our pastors here at City Church. We would love to hear how God is impacting your life through this ministry. Please share your experience with us by emailing prayer at citychurch.life. If you'd like to be a part of what City Church is doing in our city and beyond, you can contribute financially by going to citychurch.life forward slash give and choosing the giving option that works best for you. We consider resources like this to be supplemental and not a replacement for community. If you live in the Savannah area, please consider joining us for service. We hope you enjoy this message. stepping into a brand new series uh, called uh, NSFW, and it means not safe for work. Uh, I'm not sure if you know exactly uh, where that uh, comes from, or maybe you've seen this before. Uh, I'm, I, I am, let me think about how to word this, like, like I am on the, the, the kind of the front end of some things, you know, like, like I would c- consider myself to be a, an early adopter when it comes to technology. Uh, I tend to have no clue what's going on with uh, things like this. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, there was a daily deal on Amazon. Uh, anybody shop on Amazon, right? And uh, so there was a daily deal, and it was uh, on board games. And so I'm always looking for new games that I can play with my family, uh, games I can play with my friends. Some of you have heard this story. It's terrible. And uh, so I bought a game called Never Have I Ever. I thought it was going to be like Truth or Dare. And uh, Truth or Dare for me when I was a kid was uh, not graphic. And so I thought it would be a fun game. And we had the young and married over at the house. And I was like, hey, uh, we should play Never Have I Ever. It's this new game I got. And one of the guys who was there, uh, uh, his name's Nick, Nick said, Nick said, you know what, uh, Jim, we might not want to play that game. I, I don't think that that's a, uh, uh, a community group approved game. And I was like, of course it is. It'll be fun. And so I opened it up and it was a deck of cards. And um, uh, the first card, and I've actually never told you guys what the first card was, but I just want to help really drive a point home today. I started passing cards out, and I pulled the card up, and the card I read was, never have I ever dreamt of sleeping with someone at this table I'm not married to. And my stomach flipped inside out at what else could be on any of these cards. And no lie, I jumped across the table grabbing cards and pulling them in, and people were hysterically laughing at me, and I was, I don't, I already don't handle this. If you've been around me long, well, if you've been around me long enough, you know that I, there are words I just have a hard time even letting come out of my mouth, and uh, man, I was in a total cold sweat, like, throwing these things in, and how, how, how who would make something like this? And, and then I think, like, like, I get to the other side of an, a story like that, and, and then I, go and I look the game up and I look at all the reviews and I look at all the people who are playing the game and 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 the thing that really breaks my heart is is and, and this isn't to bring any condemnation for anybody in the room who's played this but but it really breaks my heart to think in terms of of how we look at relationships and and what the value that we have on relationships is and so uh, uh, one day I was uh, here at the office and uh, uh, something came across, maybe it was Facebook or something, and it said, uh, it had this, this uh, what do you call this, an anacronym? Is that what it is? NSFW? And I was like, what does that mean? They said, not safe for work. And I was like, why would you put that on there? And then, I, of course, I'm remembering the game and I'm thinking like, like, so now we have a way 
to kind of earmark it. And, and immediately what came to my mind was not that that meant don't open it at work. It just meant cover your screen while you open it at work, right? Because that's really the, the temptation that exists out there and that so many of us feed into. And, and so we want to do a, a series on the idea around relationships and not just relationships that, that, that are, 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 you know, a husband and a wife or a dating relationship. I think that, that doing an idea around relationships just in general as a whole uh, really is important because if we can't do relationships with our, with our peers well, we can't do relationship with our spouse as well. Like if we can't, if we don't understand how relationships at their, at their just basic fundamental basis operate, we're not going to be able to do it inside of a relationship. So some of the things I hope that we get from this series is how to be in a healthy relationship, right? Uh, how to experience real intimacy in relationships and what does intimacy look like uh, and, and how that it varies depending on the type of relationship that you are in, uh, how to navigate hurt from past relationships because the truth is that, that uh, all of us have s experienced some type of hurt from some type of relationship. Some of us will experience greater hurt uh, from closer relationships than others, but we've all walked through some type of hurt. And then ultimately, yes, I, I do want to get to the idea or, or, the, or deal with the concepts of marriage and the idea of how do we move from roommates to soulmates. How do you move from just being somebody inside of marriage that you're just like sharing a space with to somebody that you are genuinely in a very real way connected to? And, and so the idea in Scripture of one and one becoming one, right, and we hear this kind of, this kind of language used in, in Christian circles, is, this isn't just like, hey, some catchy thing to say. It is really about more than, than, than a physical connection. There is something that is deeply spiritual that takes place. And so I hope that in the, in the midst of this that we'll get there. Today I've titled the message, Relationship Reality. In order for us to be able to go any further in this, in this topic, we really have to come to a place where we have a, a grasp on the reality of what relationship looks like. And, and what better place to start than right at the beginning of the book? Because right there in that very first story in Genesis, we get a picture of a handful of relationships. The first one we get is a picture between God and creation, right? We're going to get a picture between God and creation. We're going to get a picture of the relationship between God and humans. We're going to get uh, some imagery around the relationship between humans, right, among themselves, and then around humans and creation. And as we do that, looking here uh, in this beginning story of Genesis, we'll begin right in chapter 1. And because of time, I'm not going to go through every single verse. Uh, we have been offering some extended, like, uh, deep dives through a podcast that we're putting out. And we'll be doing the same thing through this series because there's a lot of information that we're not able to to get out uh, in the Sunday morning service. So you can look for that this week. Uh, let's look here in verse 26, right? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, so God has been navigating the creation process and then something happens here in verse 26, and we get a unique distinction in the creation process. So God and creation. We have a relationship being established, God and his creation, and now humans are going to enter the scene, and there is something that is different about the relationship between the divine, right, and the material, and the divine and humans, something that separates us from the rest of creation. And as, as, as God makes man, right, as he creates this first human being, 
he breathes this breath of life into him. And, and what happens is that man becomes this like mediator between the divine and the material. So, so in, this, in this relationship that's being formed between God and us, the, the, this thing that's unique about us is that we have this piece of the divine in us that's moving through us, unlike the rest of creation. And so we're, we're like a tether that's taking place, that, just kinda, that kinda holds the, 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 the earthly, the, the, that, that which was created in the material world, and then what is happening in the spiritual world. So you and I have the ability to connect on both sides of that. And nothing else in creation has that, that ability to just on their own make that connection. So this man, he is unique because he has divine and earthly qualities simultaneously. And the struggle between these will ultimately define him. The struggle that takes place between the divine and the material. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2 here. Verse 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Verse 6, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, Robert Alter, who wrote a commentary on the book of Genesis and actually did a translation, this is how he translated that for us. He says that then the Lord God fashioned the human hummus from the soil and blew into his nostrils the breath of life and the human became a living creature. Now, when he's doing this, he's trying to help us catch a wordplay that's taking place right here in this verse. Uh, I'm going to pull up the interlinear for us right here, and I, I think this is important. Remember when we were diving into this first rebellion and we were talking about the serpent and how we have this name uh, Satan, the Satan, the adversary, and that that's not really his name, and that that same word gets used throughout Scripture? We have a little bit of, of a dilemma here, and that is that as we are translating and sticking the word Adam into some of these first verses, right, we're giving him this name, uh, we don't have an indication that his name properly is Adam. In fact, uh, we actually draw that out of these Hebrew words right here, and, and so I've circled these inside of this verse, and it is this word ha-adam. And we see it mentioned in both parts of the verse, the same word that is used, right? Ha-Adam, and it means, or the way that we translate that out is we translate it out as Adam, right? Okay, and it comes from the root word, Adama, and that is literally ground or land. Now, now this is important for us to understand. If we're going to understand the, the way that a, a relationship, and really the relationship that we're really talking about is the relationship among humans, if we really want to understand that relationship, we need to understand what's happening, what the, what the author is illustrating for us right here, and that is that at this point, what we know about this man is that he comes from the ground. That he comes from the ground, he is having this interaction with his creator. That the soil and the divine have somehow joined together. The image of God has come onto the material world, and that has happened in you and I. We're unique, we're different, right? But at this point, there's not a lot that is known about who this man is, right? And then this Adama is given an objective. He's given his first little role, his first uh, amount of purpose in his existence. Look here in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
Robert Alter, he translated it like this, and the Lord took the human and set him down in the Garden of Eden to till it and watch it. To till it and watch it. These words are really significant for us as well because what they actually translate out to be is, is not this idea of like that we were created and set down in this, in this, uh, in this area to, to work this land that, that God created us so that we would be out there, you know, suffering along, trying to do this laborious activity. The, the, the language really translates out to be a little bit more like to serve the land, that as the, this mediator, right, the way that we are mediating between the divine and the material is that God is saying you are unique and you have a responsibility to serve that which I have created. And, and I want to tell you that, that I personally believe that, that there is, is not really a better way to, to show love than to serve somebody than to serve something. That when we are willing to lay down our lives, when we are willing to put our own dreams, our own expectations to the side to help somebody else or some greater good be pushed forward, that that is a genuine, beautiful act of love. And we need to, to get a picture of what's happening here is that as man is coming into creation, God created him for that purpose. That's why today, more than ever before, people are looking for jobs, they're looking for careers where their lives can make a difference. It's always been a passion. It's always been something that burns inside of humanity but today, with the advancement of technology, there are so many of those little menial tasks that, that we don't have to do on a daily basis, and, and our resources become a little bit extra, and our time is a little bit extra, and we are able to sit here and go, how can I serve? How can I make a difference? And it doesn't have this, like, like this immediate connection to the church, because this is what the non-believer will say, well, don't you think that I'm a good person? I want to help people. I want to serve people. And the response is, of course you do. Of course you do. Because the God that made you hardwired that inside of you. You were made to serve the world around you, right? Right? And you were made to till it, right? And then you were made to protect the land. You were made to protect the creation. And so you and I have a responsibility to do what? To not just serve, but to protect and this is why this is hardwired inside of us, to be protectors, to be those who are ready to defend. You see, God will ultimately remove them, Adam and Eve, right, man and woman, and lock them out in order to protect this land from them. The irony is, is that they're created to serve it and protect it, but ultimately, something will happen to where God is going to have to protect that creation from them. That they won't have the land's best interest at heart, the creation's best interest at heart. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And I want to point something out here for you real quick, because this is one of those problems that I think um, uh, a, a lot of times as, as we'll, we'll meet Christians, right? People who are in the church, and then they'll, they'll walk away from the faith. And they'll say, well, I just, you know what, I've been going to church, you know, X number of years, and I just, I just, I just don't understand, you know, I just can't accept that God would do things this way, or why would the Bible say it this way, and then it happened this way. And, and we begin to create these loopholes, right? And a lot of people say, well, I just, I've lost the faith for that reason. And when I hear those arguments, the truth is, is that I go, those are, those are things that I have a problem with as well. The reality, though, is, is that a lot of times, and in fact, I would say every time, it's because we don't have an understanding of Scripture. Because we read something in a sentence and we just apply it to our own 
especially Western understanding, and we don't really look at the entire context of Scripture or how something is applied throughout Scripture, and we just jump to our own conclusions. And this right here is a really great example of that. This picture of eat of it and you shall surely die. When we read that the first time, we think, well, what Adam and Eve probably thought was that they would partake of the fruit and just instantly die. Now, this, this, uh, this word in here for uh, shall surely, um, right here, it occurs 51 times in the Old Testament. So this isn't the only time that this is used. In fact, it is used by the same author throughout the Pentateuch, throughout these first five books of the Bible, right? And it consistently describes inevitability, Every time that it's used, it is used to describe that this will eventually happen. It is an inevitability. You're going to die, but it is never used to say you're going to die the moment that it's said. And so just to help us reconcile that, that, that when God says this, the understanding and the, and the author who's sitting here writing this out expects you to understand that, hey, I'm going to consistently use this language and I'm going to consistently use it in a means that says... If you partake of the fruit, eventually death will find you. Without partaking of this fruit of this tree, death will never discover you. But if you do, eventually it will. It will be an inevitability. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So, the idea that we have here is that God has been making things and it has been good, it has been good, it has been good, and then we get to it is not good. And again, I want to argue that if we want to understand right relationships, if we want to understand what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship, what it looks like to control what we put our eyes on, what we put our heart and our desires to, we need to understand our own limitations and how we are intended to operate. And let me say, right here at this point, you have God and you have man. And God said, something isn't good here. There's something that isn't good enough about this situation. And then how many people in your life have told you that, oh, me and God, we got things figured out. I don't need church. I don't need community. I don't need these relationships. I, I believe in God. I read my Bible sometimes. We're good. We get this language, right, a lot from, from people. And, and yet right here, that's what exists is God and man. And God says this isn't enough. This isn't enough. This interaction won't be enough for what? For fulfilling the purpose that you were created for. What was the purpose that he was created for? He was created to serve and protect the creation, to be these, these mediators, these divine, this divine person that, 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 that meets right there on the edge of what is physical and what is spiritual. And what it does is it exposes a limitation. And in order for us to have healthy relationships and walk in healthy relationships, we need to come to the realization that each and every one of us created are created with a limitation. We like to think we are only answerable to God, but that is not a biblical idea. And so what does God do? God begins shaping the beasts of the field right? He begins to shape the beast of the field. He begins to make these creatures, and there's an interaction that's taking place. And can I tell you something? Like, like, like especially if you love animals, you, you love your pets, right? Anybody in here got a pet? Anybody got a, a, a dog or a little cat monster running around, right? <laughs> I know some of you guys love cats, and I have, I have a cat at my house, and I just want to say in its defense, I dislike it less than I used to. Um, uh, I, I, I have uh, friends, um, actually uh, um, uh, Dave and Christy, who are working the check-in for kids today. They have a number of cats because they had two girls who loved them, and uh, they got the cats, um, and, and, the, and the daughters um, are 
they've got boyfriends and a fiance and, or a boyfriend and a fiance and they get the cats, right? So every time I'm over there, they have a ton of cats that are, are in the house and I see these cats and they sit in their laps and I think to myself, like, like, our cat doesn't do that. Our cat tries to eat us. Like our cat, if, if it, it, it tries to, to sneak around the house and deceive us at every corner. Like it's like there's not an honest bone in its body at times. And so that's where my heart comes from, just so you understand. Like my only at-home experience with a cat is waking up with scratches on my face and not knowing where they came from and looking at the cat and looking at Carmen and thinking, one of you is attacking me in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> but we love our pets. In fact, we will sometimes make great sacrifice for our pets. And so God begins making the beasts of the field. Why? Because it wasn't good for man to be alone. Do, do you understand that like the idea of having a animal that you're close to, like God is, is in this process of making these creatures and there is like this connection point that's taking place. Is this going to be enough for man? Is having a, 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 a pet, something to connect with like this, is this going to be enough? It's not going to be enough. But there are some other really interesting things that are happening here, and the, and the writer wants us to see this in verse 19. Now, out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Look at this, whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And so what is the writer telling us right here? This is a, this is a picture that, that I've read this and I've read this and I've read this and I have not seen this before. But what is happening right here is that we have seen God's voice being used for what? Creation. And then he invites man into this process, and man's voice is getting used for what? To be invited to be a part of the creation process. And so this man, he is using his voice to call out these names, and God is saying, I like that one. That's a good one. That's what we'll, that's what, what, that's what we'll take the animal. That's, that'll be the animal's name. And so, so this man is actually being, be, being a part of creation. He is creating, designed, made by the divine, brought into this existence to be a part of continuing the creation process. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for, uh, but for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. And so I want to kind of bring us back to this picture. So earlier I showed you the interlinear where it talked about man, and now we've got this word that's being inserted here, and it's this name, Adam, right? And if we go back to the interlinear again, and we are in chapter 2, verse 20, what we find here is that the exact same word that was used earlier here, this Ha-Adam is being used again. Now, remember that when we're talking about a, uh, uh, when we're adding prepositions uh, to a word, those words in the Hebrew, they actually change the word. Instead of having a preposition in front of the word, they're joined together. But right here, we just have another form of that, and it is this word, uh, Yula-Adam. And so the, 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 the writer here is not writing saying, hey, we've given this guy a name. His name is Adam. The writer is continuing to use the exact same language saying that this being of the ground that has the divine breath of God in it is, is interacting with God. And I, I know right now what you're thinking, like, like we are talking a lot about the relationship between God and this man. How does this connect to the rest of us? Follow with me, because there's something amazing that happens right here in these next verses. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, 
took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Okay, so there is an amazing moment of clarity around what it means to be a person happening right here. Right in this moment, remember that this man that we call Adam, he was made and God said, it's, it's not good right now. There needs to be a helper. And they begin to make the beasts of the field, right? No suitable helper is found. Sure, he can love an animal and an animal can have some affection to him, but it's just not going to be the same. And so this uh, Adamah, this being of the ground, is put to sleep and a rib is taken and woman is made. And what the writer wants us to understand right here is that you can be surrounded by the entirety of creation and not know who you are. That you can have access to unlimited wealth, to unlimited resources, and you can still not know who you are. And why is that? Adam sums it up in this little poem that follows in verse 23. And, and this is really kind of the anchor of where this idea of being in a healthy relationship will birth from. Look here in verse 23. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, remember that the writer has done something very intentional here. He has used the same language through this entire process, right, to help us understand who this person is. He is using one of the variations of the word for Adama, meaning from the ground. Now, this man, Adam, as we call him, has been speaking and giving names over everything, and God has been saying, I'll accept that name. That'll be the name. And then this woman is made. And if we go to the interlinear, uh, uh, what we're going to see here is that when it comes to this word man, when he references himself here, he does not reference himself as Adama. Instead, what he does is he references himself using this word meis. And it's a different word. And it's the first time that we see this word in the scripture. And so we have the word Isa and the word Meis, woman and man. And something that's interesting when you're going to the interlinear, and I don't think I've mentioned this as I've been showing some of these over the past few weeks, is that you have to be uh, aware of the fact that Hebrew is actually a language that is not written from left to right, but from right to left. And so when you look at an interlinear where it has the Hebrew out, you have to read it from right to left. And so when you read these things, you read them and it says, and said Adam, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This, is, this one shall be called woman because out of man was taken this one. Do you know what the writer is telling us here? That, that he had named everything but himself. He could not name himself because he did not know who he was. He could not know who he was until he saw her. And it was in that moment that he saw her, that he realized who she was, that it was in that moment that he understood his own identity. And so many times in our culture, we get this backwards and we say, well, we've got man, we've got woman, and, and we just take our Western translations and we go, well, what God did was he took the word, I mean, what Adam did was he took the word man and he just added woe in front of it. And that's not what's happening here. You see, he could not understand his identity without understanding her identity. This is why relationships are so important. And this is why there is and always has been an attack on relationships. 
Because if relationships can be broken, and if you will buy into broken relationships on how they look and how they're defined, the enemy knows this. You'll never know who you are, and you'll never know what you're capable of. We're about to walk into Genesis 3. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the first rebellion. And this serpent who is very cunning is going to come in. And as this serpent is walking into his own rebellion, he is going to do what he can to draw Adam and Eve into this rebellion. And the rebellion will rupture the human-to-human relationship and the God-to-human relationship. Things had never been better. There was such goodness in the world. Now, some questions that come up when we're talking about this. I think the first one is, what is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And, and, and I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't have some like, aha, here's what we know that it was. We don't know. But I can tell you that a lot of times when we think about the, the, this tree, our focus is on the evil. But remember that what God made was good. God does not create evil. And so what we do know is that the tree was good. It wasn't like God made this one evil, demonic thing sitting in the garden. And I think a lot of times we get that picture. We, we create that for ourselves, that God created all of this stuff, and he creates this one tree, and this is where he puts evil at. But the tree itself was not evil. The tree itself was quite literally where one gained the knowledge of good and evil. And so, why would God make something good and tell them no? Well, sometimes good has parameters. I was uh, uh, a youth pastor for a number of years, and one of the things, one of the topics that just was a, a, a constant around young people was around uh, abstinence. It's a concept of remaining sexually pure until marriage and what the Bible teaches about that and the struggle that humanity has to play their role in that expectation. And one day, uh, one of my kids, we were talking about uh, babies and, you know, that awkward conversation that you, I would like, you might believe from the way that like the movies and all kind of place it out there that you have that conversation once with your kids. It's like, hey, it's time for the birds and the bees and it's all done. But if you're actually parenting, you're going to have lots of awkward conversations with your kids and you can uh, run from it in fear or you can revel in it the way that I have and love every second of making them squirm and crawl and hide underneath things, right? And so one day uh, we were talking about babies and, you know, it just wasn't time for the, like, the details, okay? And if you are right now going, oh, I thought that's what Pastor Jim was going to teach on and you're wanting to know where babies come from, come see me afterwards. I've got a dry erase board in the back and we'll, we'll make sure that you walk away fully equipped. But I tried to explain to them that this was where God created life, right? And my child said to me, then why are you always telling the teenagers not to have babies, right? If it's so good, if it's so great, if it's so amazing, why are you always telling the teenagers in youth group that they shouldn't be having babies? And the truth is, is that at some point, one day, we want them to experience that. Not because babies are evil. Babies are good. Sex is good. But God created it with parameters, right? He set some boundaries in place. Why? Not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the family, for the benefit of humanity, And this is just one example of how there are things that are good, but sometimes they're just not good today. Sometimes today isn't the day. In fact, one of the things that I'll kind of dive into this week on our deep dive online is the, the, the idea that perhaps this tree was not one that they were permanently forbidden from. But by 
taking a season and proving that they could themselves withstand the temptation that one day it would have been presented to them. Because in that moment, God would have known they were mature enough to be able to handle what information came. Chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Right? Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, think about the attributes of God for just a moment, right? We've talked about this over this previous series. God is all-knowing. He's everywhere, right? He's, he's got all this information. It's not like this is all a big surprise or shock to him. And he asked this question, where are you? Where is it that you are at? And so, so something that, that, that might be happening here. Is, is that, yeah, he might be asking for a physical location, but, but maybe he's asking for an emotional location. Maybe what God is wanting to know is a spiritual location. You see, verse 10, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So God comes out saying, where are you? And what does the man do? The man is hiding. And he believes that if he goes and hides, that he can hide what? Not just the, the, the physical location of where he's at, but he can hide his shame and his guilt. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, is this something that God is not aware of? No. This is what scholars say. They say that God is giving, he's calling him to repentance right here. He's giving him an opportunity to, to repent. You know, repentance is this. It's confession. Have you done the thing I asked you not to do? Yes, I have. There's, it takes a tremendous amount of humility to stand there and look authority in the eye and say, yeah, yeah, I did what I wasn't supposed to do. So this is four things that we see right here, and the numbers are super screwed up there. That's my fault, I guess. So we receive a commandment from the divine, right? This is the picture. We receive a commandment from the divine. We obey the commandment, and in so doing, maintain our position as the mediator. So we receive a commandment. If we maintain the commandment, we are continued to be used as the mediator, right? When we break the commandment, we repent and say, God, I broke the commandment. And when we say that we've broken the commandment, the next thing that happens is we are then asked to follow the commandment. And so Adam is being given the opportunity right here to repent. And how does he respond? Verse 12 says, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And so what does he do? He is willing to cut off the very person with whom he found himself. I mean, think about the power of the story right now. Like, he did not know who he was, and then all of a sudden, he discovers who, who it is that, that he was created to be. He can even take on his own identity, and now he has fallen into sin. And what is he willing to do? He is willing to throw all of that to the side. So why are they both so unrepentant? Why is it that they are so quick and ready to kind of push it to the next person? Perhaps their fear of death. Maybe that's the reason. Or perhaps it's their desire to protect their new experience. Think about maybe some of the things that you've indulged in in your life that you haven't been willing to give up. Or perhaps their desire to be right with God without having to be held to his standards. I mean, what are the reasons for our unrepentance? Right? Well, I think I'm right with God. If God's all loving, if God is filled with love, right? If God is love, then he's going to be okay with me if he loves me that much. Can, can I just tell you, and I've been saying this, that God is love, but love is not God. 
So, what about the future of relationships? I'm going to close here, kind of setting us up for the coming weeks. We find going backwards to verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is the key for us to understand exactly what the future of relationship between God and man, man and uh, creation, and then humanity and humanity. To understand it, we have to understand what's happening right here. You see, their path to knowing evil was for them to commit it. God knows evil without ever having committed evil. And the problem with doing something that's wrong, right, is that shame becomes just woven into our hearts. And with enough time and enough healing, we can learn to stand tall, and we can learn to move forward, and we can learn to be a voice of light in the darkness, and we can live lives of purpose and meaning, and we can honestly know that God is not holding that failure over our heads. But, but can I tell you that somewhere inside of us, we're still aware we still know the thing that we did. Yeah, we're thankful that God forgives us. Yeah, we're thankful that God's grace is sufficient. And so God is now faced with this dilemma because he's created this place for them to live forever. And there's a problem because had they stayed and lived there forever, the garden would have become hell. Why? Because the garden would have forever been filled with their shame, their guilt, their humiliation. You see, death in this imagery was not some angry judgment. Death was an act of mercy. Because God knew that he was coming for, to redeem. He knew redemption was coming. He knew that he would pay the price. He wasn't surprised by the need for this. You see, our physical death and our spiritual rebirth are about a separation for each of us from the failures of our past. So that that shame and guilt will no longer have even a place in our minds. And so they leave the garden, and the garden is given a protector with a flaming sword to make sure that they don't come back into it. And why? Because the scripture says that if they stayed there, they would have continued to eat of the fruit of life, and they would have lived forever. They would have forever been bound up in their shame and their guilt, and God had a better plan. And so he said, I've got to set you out here. Now, because you're not in this garden, you're in this, this, this extended portion of my creation. You're going to have some additional problems because with shame and with guilt and with humiliation come some other evils. And ultimately, we will see 613 laws in the Old Testament. And a lot of people will say, well, I just, I, I'm not going to serve a God that's full of all these rules and all these expectations. Christians will say, well, God can't, God can't hold that over my head. He can't expect me to live like that. He can't expect me to, 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 to see those 613 uh, laws as being expectations for my life. He, we already know that man couldn't do it. And so do we, do we invalidate the ones that we don't like? Do we just go through the list of the 613 and go, I don't like this one, so this one can't be for me, right? Or do we exempt ourselves because we are Christians. Do we use that language right? Because Paul says that, hey, because we're followers of Christ, do we just sin all the more so that grace can abound? And Paul says, that's, that's, that's dumb. Perhaps we have a new opportunity to exist in the divine relationship. Perhaps these 613 guidelines which Jesus sums up really simply for us, and that is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps by doing that, we step back into relationship with the divine creator. And then we have the capacity to be in right relationship with the people that we do life with. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to close right now. And I want to tell you that if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus as Lord of your life, the path to this redemptive process begins with that. A sacrifice had to be made. And that sacrifice, what it, what it did, the, the, sim, the symbology of the Old Testament for us with that sacrifice was that it took away the sin, right? It took away the shame. Why? Because as long as the shame and the guilt is inside of you and tethered up inside of you, you're just creating hell everywhere you go. You're just bound up in your own hell. And they would sacrifice the lamb so that there would be a, a payment. And then there's this imagery of, of the lamb being set free, right? And it would go out into the wilderness. Why? Because it just the, the price was paid and now it carried away all of your guilt and your shame. And that was imagery for them of God coming in the flesh and doing what we couldn't do, what we did not do, what we chose not to do, doing it for us, and then doing what? Taking it away. The scripture says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. That at that point, we will be covered. That we will be in the relationship that is the divine and the Adama. That we will move from just existing here on this material world with this dirt and the trees around us and we will be reconnected and at that point we become mediators and that desire to serve and protect the world around you takes on purpose and i'm going to tell you this that i hope by the end of this series that, that you will have some real understanding of what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship, specifically inside of the bonds of marriage, and that when you meet that that person, that soulmate, and I know this is going to be a struggle for some of you because because some of you, you've thought you were there and, and, and you've experienced loss in that area. Some of you are... you. you, you, you you didn't get to that place where you were walking right with God before you stepped into marriage. And so you have all these little caveats that kind of work their way into relationships. But the ultimate goal is that when both of you are standing before God submitted to him, that in that moment you will begin to really understand who you are. And you'll understand the beauty of marriage and why it should be protected why it should be fought for because it was a gift from God to help us know who we are ourselves so if you don't know Jesus I want to invite you to know that Jesus today so with every head bowed and every eye closed as we end the service today thanks so much for joining us online we hope you were impacted by the word of God you heard today we want to help you navigate your next steps if you made a decision for Christ today or simply need prayer if you want more information about our church, visit us online at citychurch.life. If you didn't get a chance to give online during service and would like to contribute financially, you can go to citychurch.life forward slash give. We look forward to hearing from you and seeing you at church.